gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of the Type In Podcast live from SEMA 2023. I'm Chris Harris. And I'm Destiny Spurlock. And our special guest is a legendary race car driver. This man has broken records after records after records and records at Pikes Peak, which is absolutely insane to want to go up Pikes Peak that fast. But without further introduction, Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Holland. Yes, welcome. Big Rob. <laughs> Man, Rob, you have been able to race all over the world in some of the coolest cars. And, you know, we, we ask a lot of people, so how'd you get started in this? Everybody dreams about, you know, being a race car driver, but you're actually doing it. So how'd you get into it? It's a, it's a funny thing, you know, everybody wants to be a race car driver, but no one actually is a race car driver. So I, I never thought that I'd have any any future as being a race car driver. When I first started off, I was actually a bicycle racer, you know? Yeah, I started when I was 12 years old and raced for a number of years at the professional level. But the problem was is that there's a lot of drugs in the sport and that just wasn't me. I came up during that Lance Armstrong era. So that was just, it was crazy. So I was like, okay, look, you know, I want to do something else. And a buddy of mine was just like, well, hey, why don't you do this track day? Like he knew I like cars and stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. And at the end of the day, um, one of my guys came over. He's like, dude, you're like, you've never done this before. Like you're, you've got like some talent. He's like, why don't you go to Skip Barber Racing School? And, and you know, and I was like, yeah, that's great. Maybe I'll do that and just have a little bit of fun. Uh, turned out I was better at racing cars than I was at racing bikes. <laughs> and and uh, eight months later, I had a pro contract. And that's 20 years ago. Eight months later. Eight months later. So it's an like accelerator program. Yeah. <laughs> but the funny thing is, is that, you know, I, I never sat there and said, oh, I'm good at this. Like, it's funny. So I, I went to the, the second Skip Barber school I went to. Um, it, had, it had two guys in it that were really quick. And I was like the, the third quickest guy. And I was like, and everybody else was like kind of old guys. And they were, you know, they gotten gifts from their wives to go. Right? And I was like, okay, well, whatever. I'm better than those guys, but these guys are good. Well, the first guy turned out to be a guy named Jordan Musser, who in the future turned out to be one of my teammates. He's actually six-time national go-kart champion. I think now he's like eight or nine-time national champion. So he was legitimately quick. The other guy that was there is a guy named Alexander Rossi. Alexander Rossi won, won the Indy 500. So, yeah, I was like measuring myself against guys at that caliber. And, and I had no idea. And, and I was just off their pace. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't anything I expected. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's been a career for 20 years. So since you're pretty much a natural and, you know, you're killing the game and you just got into it, right? So how can you tell us, well, can you tell us about your journey from going from amateur to professional in this, in the sport? It was tough because it was like eight months. I, I literally, I did, I did, um, Skip Barber has had their regional racing series. And then above that, they have the Skip Barber Pro Dodge. This is when, when Dodge was involved with Skip Barber. And I did that and had a connection with Dodge. Um, and I was quick in the, in the, in the Barber Dodge series. And so Dodge said, hey, we got this team that's building our, our new touring car program. Let's get you a, a test with them. And uh, I went in, and it was 3R racing, and I and I was a tenth off their their fast pro, and um, yeah, that was that was kind of that. Okay, I gotta ask this question: How old were you when you first got into racing? Uh, I was 30, 30, 29 years old when I first did my first track day, really? and then yeah, thirty. So I was a, I was a late bloomer. 
But you're a natural, so it's like, age doesn't mean anything. Just... Well, but the funny thing is, is that I was racing bikes from a really young age. And, and while you might think that there's nothing to do with each other, mentally there's a lot. Like, you know, when I'm racing bikes, it's the same thing. It's the spatial awareness. It's the, it's the mental focus you have to have. It's the dedication. It's all of these things. And that's the same no matter what sport you're in, whether it's cycling or, or motorsports or, or whatever. And so when I was in a car for the first time, I didn't have to think about all of those other things that other people who that, that don't have that experience were already had to think about. So I can just focus on my driving and I had a bit of natural talent as a driver. And, and so that was just boom. I just, I picked it up and went. That's awesome. You're doing all this stateside. So how did you wind up heading over to Europe? And that's when you really kind of started to put the stamp on the Rob Holland brand. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was involved in the uh, the factory Volvo program for a while. Um, actually, Jim Huey's sitting over there. He was the team owner. And we built these uh, the C30 Touring cars, which were amazing cars. We had a great season. Uh, unfortunately, at the end of the year, Volvo announced that um, the C30 was going to be discontinued as a car. And that was kind of it. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a bit lost in terms of what my next step was. Uh, and I just I, I made some inquiries about racing overseas and in, in the British Touring Car Championship. And British Touring Car, for those of you guys who don't know, was one of the top motorsport series in the world, especially back in the 90s when they had the Super Touring era. It was on, on par with Formula One in terms of, of popularity. And that was always like, that was the thing that got me into motorsports is watching those guys drive cars that looked like street cars, but they, they were doing things with it that I just couldn't imagine. And I was just like, that, that to me just captivated me. Um, so I made some, um, you know, made some calls and uh, Lee Neffenegger from, um, from Honda HPD said, hey, look, we got a team that's got one of our, you know, one of the Honda cars over in, uh, in, in British Touring Car that they're looking for a driver. And so we put you in touch. And he put me in touch with, with Tony Gillum and Team Hard. And, you know, next thing I know, end of the season, I'm in a, in a British Touring Car. And I was the first American since Dan Gurney to race in the British Touring Car Championship. So um, got a huge amount of media attention, a lot of exposure, and um, it was just off the charts. So that has to be a lot that goes through your mind with, getting, like you said, getting all that attention and having to focus on racing. So what do you do to prepare yourself mentally and physically when it comes to racing? I don't know. I mean, once again, because I've been racing for such a long time, it's just a natural state for me. When I'm preparing to get into a car, the, the focus is already there. I don't have to, like, I don't have a routine or anything. It's more of just, a, okay, I'm in the car, the window net goes up, the door is closed, and, and I focus. And, right. and that's you it. You just ain't wake up like this, all right? What's your workout routine? I'm sitting here looking like this. You said, oh, I just got So what's your workout routine? Like, how do you prepare? Yeah. I mean, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm a cyclist at heart, so, so I ride probably four or five days a week, probably put in 300 miles, you know, a week. Um, yeah, my <laughs> I barely want to do one. Yeah, but the thing is, if I don't do that, then, like, it's, it's funny because the one thing I didn't understand when I first got into racing is that you're not in the car every single day. Like, when I was cycling, I was like, I'm on the bike every day. That's what you do day in, day out, seven days a week, and then five, six hours a day. So for me, not being in a car all the time, because you can't, because you beat up the equipment, you, you know, you run through tires and it just, it, it gets expensive. So I'm only in the car. I mean, I, I do some coaching and stuff like that, but if I'm lucky, it's once or twice a week. So, you know, for me to be able to stay fit and stay focused mentally, um, you know, I've got to do something and it's cycling. Do you ever want to still compete in cycling? I mean, it's obviously a love of yours. Do you ever want to get back and 
Tour de France or something? No, I'm, like I'm, a, I'm a whole fat guy. Now. Like, I, yeah. No, it's I, yeah, it's funny. Like I, I, you forget how fit you were. I mean, you play pro sports. You know how it is. It's like you when it's your whole entire world. Your level of fitness goes up to a level that, that like other people can't understand. And it's funny now because I go out and do some of the group rides with some of the top pros, and I just get destroyed. And I'm just like, wait a second, how did I used to keep up with these guys? So it's 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 a it's 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 a tough thing as you get older and you don't focus as much. But on motorsports now, it's it's that's what it is for me because I am in the car so often that for me it's just a it's a state of mind. I hop in a car and okay, tell me what it is and great, I'll go drive it. So I gotta ask you because I also cycle too. Not like that though, you know. <laughs> I got my little stationary trainer. What kind of what brand bike do you have? I've got a Cervelo. A Cervelo. Yeah. So. Is that your favorite? Uh, you know, it's funny, like, I've, I've gotten out of that whole industry, you know, it's, it's honestly, it's like, it's, you know, for me, the equipment I'm driving is, is, is you know, or, or riding is, is basically whatever someone's giving me, whatever someone tells me to go, you know, ride or drive or whatever, yeah. that's my favorite at the moment. I'm with so. it. Sounds good. It's funny. I got uh, when I first moved to Florida, it was all this flat land. So I said, I'm gonna get a bike. I'm gonna, you know, stay in shape. So I went to the bike store that had the Trek, the Marlin yeah. Seven, right? And it was like, this isn't really a road bike, but I'm like, I'm 300 pounds, and I feel safe on top of this thing. So give me this. So I got the Strava app. I'm downloading it. I know I'm about to be uh, uh, what's a uh, um, Lance Armstrong, right? I know that's. So the first day, I actually did, I did 15 miles there, and I did 15 miles back. So it was 30 miles. It was a good ride. And then one day, I did it, and it was windy. I was like, I'm done. Because <laughs> a 15 miles, 30 miles felt like 100 miles. It was a completely different day. I was like, yeah, you're like, no, you're good. Yeah, I'm good. This is not my lane at all. So speaking of, I talked about it earlier. Um, you know, you're, you're in Colorado, and one of the most legendary, scary. First of all, I drove up Pikes Peak just as a tourist. I had my decided I was going to rent the CTSV, so I'm taking it up type Pikes Peak, and it's fourteen thousand four hundred feet in the air, and I just feel the car struggling the entire way up. And for those of you who don't know Pikes Peak, it's a very steep and narrow back and forth climb up this mountain in Colorado, and there are no barricades. And you think about a shoulder of the road. So you have like the white line, maybe a little bit of gravel, and then nothing. This man breaks records flying up this road. How? Why? Let's talk about this. <laughs> The, the how is easy. You just do it. You just you turn off your brain and you just go. Oh, okay. Now, I mean, I, so the, 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 so the, the thing about it is, is that when you're racing cars, I mean, you know this, your focus is on the road. Yes. You're not focused or focused on the track. You're not focused on the gravel pit. You're not focused on the wall past the gravel pit. That's true. Pike's Peak is the same thing. Is that you focus on the road? You don't focus on the ten thousand foot cliff you have at the end of that road. If you put it that way, I definitely can see that. Because when you're racing, like you say, you you don't think about the dangers of things that can happen. You're just trying to focus on your line, and that's it. No, if you focus on all the bad stuff that could happen, we wouldn't do this. Yeah. So for me, the focus is is literally just on the road and what the car will do and what I need it to do. How fast but, do you go up there? Um, it just depends on the car we're in. I mean, we can hit Hunt Ball. The, the, the quicker unlimited cars will be 150, 100, 
155, somewhere in there. We were probably in the 140 mile an hour range, 135, somewhere in there. I'm sorry, that's like insane on Mike's peak. Yeah. And then the elevation, how does that affect the car? Oh, I mean, it massively. It depends on the car again, because, you know, if you're running a forced induction car, supercharged or turbocharged, then it carries its own atmosphere to a degree. Yeah. So you don't get the fall off in horsepower. Right. But I've been running the, the Cayman GT4 RS Club Sport for the past two years, and that's a normally aspirated car. Yeah. And at sea level, we're 500 horsepower. At, we start at 9,000 feet. At 9,000 feet, we're probably at three and a quarter. And by the time we get to 14,000 feet, you're probably at 250. So it feels like you're driving a Honda Accord. <laughs> so it's just, it, you can feel it as it goes up. The car, the throttle response gets way more sluggish. Um, the car just doesn't do what you expect it to do at sea level. But at 14,000 feet, almost everything struggles. You know, and even the turbocharged cars, because the turbos can only put so much air in there. And if all of a sudden that air goes away, you, you know, you're still losing horsepower. In my memory, you can't remember the exact car, but you broke records on Pikes Peak. And not only did you break the record, you shattered it. It was by more than a minute. Yeah, like, that, that, that was the TTRS, yeah. the front-wheel drive record. That's insane. To, I mean, to crush something by a minute, That's you were in that zone that day, huh? No, it, it, that was our rookie year. Um, so that was the so bigger thing. out the gates. <laughs> well, it was a rookie year, and the car that we bought was the car that we ran at the Nürburgring. And it was a last-minute thing, and so that car never left endurance racing specification. So the gearing wasn't correct. The, the, like We didn't do anything to the horsepower. We didn't do anything. It was literally an endurance car. So it was you know, it was not set up for trying to break that record. It was just it was just a great car, and we had a, we had a really good day. The funny thing is, is that the guys from Honda, from Acura, the factory team came back a couple years later. They broke that record by six seconds, and that's the record that stood to today. Like, and so it's one of those things that's frustrating. It's like, so we, we, we've been always toying around with the idea of going back and taking that, that record back, but the, we haven't had quite the, the right opportunity yet. Nice. So, I mean, you've been so deep in this industry of multiple continents racing. Where do you see the trajectory of, of the motorsports world and, 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 and what are some new trends that you're enjoying and, and that gets you excited about this industry? Well, the, the big thing is honestly the diversity now that's starting to, to occur in the industry. I mean, that's the biggest change. I mean, we, we had Greg Gill here, who's the, the CEO and president of, of SRO America. And, um, you know, his, we, we've got a partnership with the series and they have tasked us to bring more minorities into motorsports. And it's amazing. It's not, not just in motorsports. I mean, I think you're seeing it here. I mean, with this booth and with all the people that are here, the level of diversity in this industry has just increased by a thousandfold in the past few years. And I think it's the, the efforts that everybody's trying to do to create that, that, that's kind of creating the new interest and creating different pathways for, for people to come into the sport and into the industry. So, how do you think you inspire the generation that's coming up under you? You know, for years it was one of those things that I always thought by just being out there and being black in motorsports that that was enough, you know, that that, that would inspire somebody. And I was always of the opinion that, okay, great, you know, if I've, if I've inspired somebody just by me winning a race or whatever, then I've done my job. And, but I haven't. Because... When I started off, like I said, I've been doing this for 20 years. I looked around, you know, four or five years ago and went, not much has changed. Like, yeah, it's so great, I'm out there. But the thing is, is that I haven't created the space for people to find me and to be inspired by me. And that's that's the, the thing that we needed to do was to, to, to 
get to that space. And that's, I think what you've created here is that space that allows people to go, well, wait, you know, all these different people in motorsports, in the automotive industry, they're all in one place. They're all under one roof. And now, you know, I can look at various different things that all these guys are doing and, and not only be inspired by the thing that I, I, I thought I wanted, but all of these other things. Like there are all these other people in this space that are operating that I never knew about. And I think that's the key thing. That's the most important thing. It's, it's also because, you know, for me, if you would have told me 10 years ago that this is what I'd be doing, I'd, I'd laugh, you know? And what happens is you go, okay, I'm going to set out to do this one thing. I'm going to go ride bikes. And the next thing you know, you're a legendary race car driver. I'm going out here to just get in this industry. You know, I had no idea. I just wanted to be in the motorsports industry because I was a guy who liked cars. And then now I'm in a situation to where we're showing opportunities and providing opportunities and showing blueprints to gentlemen like you who have taken to inspire others. And it's just super awesome, man. And, and, I, and I truly appreciate the work that you've done, um, the work that you're doing. And, you know, what are some of the hurdles you think that we have as far as, other than the obvious, right? But some of the hurdles that we have that we need to get over as far as diversity, improve the adversity in this in this industry. And I know one of them, that which I'll just mention, is, you know, just dollars. You know, this isn't a game that doesn't cost money. This is an expensive game to play in on a pro level. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we talked about, you know, a little bit earlier is, is yeah, sure, you know, you look at the, the driver side of things, and, yeah, we're the tip of the spear. We're the thing that, that, that a lot of people see. But the thing is, is that what people have to realize is that there's a lot of opportunities in this industry that have nothing to do with just driving the car. You know, we've been working with, like I said, with SRO um, to bring in new techs, new mechanics, new engineers, new new all of our crew. You know, that's our whole focus. And those are sustainable jobs in motorsport. And, and our crew gets paid a lot of money. And the thing is, is that I think people only look at it as, well, I want to just be a driver. Well, great. Not everybody could be a driver. I mean, you need the, the skill set to do it. And a lot of people, you know, they, they go, I want to be a driver. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I I wanted to be a pro basketball player, but I, I was too short and too bad at basketball. So it's, it's great that you, the, the dream is there, but the thing is that people have to realize is that there are other ways to make a living in the industry that don't require, and then like you said, the, the amount of money, and as you know, the amount of money that is required to go racing is is exponential. You know, we, we run our program and we're, you know, a million five into our season. You know, and our, you know, our tires are $3,000 for a set of tires. We go through seven sets in a weekend, you know. So it's one of those things that you, you know, there's, there is a, a, an economic barrier to it. But the thing is, is what we have to do is, is open the door for people to understand that there's a lot more to this industry than just, than just the driving side. Speaking of gospel, and Rob, we truly appreciate you being here. Please tell the people where they can find you. They can get in contact with you, Instagram, your website, whatever. Yeah, Rob Holland 3, Rob with two Bs, Holland. And uh, yeah, I mean, please reach out Instagram, Facebook, all of that. Um, you know, I'm always out here for trying to help people. You know, you, it's, it's great having you as a resource because a lot of people funnel through you and whatever we can do to help them, point them in the right direction. I mean, that, that's what we want to do. At the end of the day, I want to make sure, like I'm, I'm happy that, that I was, you know, one of the guys who can help open a door. I just want to make sure it doesn't close behind me before we're done. That's right. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. This is the tap in. I'm Chris Harris. And I'm Destiny Spurlock. We are SEMA 2023. See you in the next episode.